It's been a summer of discontent in Hong Kong. At first, there were protests against plans to allow extraditions to mainland China. But then, as anger grew in the streets, people started calling for broader democratic reforms. Beijing has watched the protests unfold, worried this wave of political unrest might spill beyond Hong Kong. State media has been quick to portray the protesters as violent thugs, criminals. But it has also accused Western countries of meddling in China's domestic affairs. And on social media, censors have been working at full speed, filtering out words, pictures and posts that might relate to the protests. With almost 1.4 billion people and a booming economy, China remains one of the world's biggest markets for social media companies. But Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube are all blocked in China. So in their place, Chinese-owned platforms have thrived. You may have heard of a few of them. There's the microblogging website Weibo, the messaging app WeChat or the video-sharing app Douyin, as TikTok is known in China. But these platforms have only been allowed to exist in China because they agree to abide by laws that keep them under the government's watchful eyes, which in turn has made them, some argue, a powerful tool for social control. I'm Marco Silva and you're listening to the BBC Training Podcast, where we take an in-depth look into the world of social media. Today, we're hearing from Caroline Kahn. She's a Chinese writer and journalist based in Beijing who believes the internet in her country is too tightly controlled. As a millennial who grew up in China, Caroline has watched her homeland's complicated relationship with the web evolve over the years. She documents some of that experience in her new book, Under Red Skies. I spoke to her recently in London, shortly before the Hong Kong protests started. I began by asking her about her first memories of using a computer back in the late 1990s. Every student in my school had a course called computer. There's even a special room, like classroom, for all the computers sitting there. And they were like treated as great treasure. Like before going in, teacher taught you, you cannot touch this part or that part because they are really expensive. And each time we went to the classroom, we put on special slippers. And what did we do? Like basically just uh, typing or uh, use computer to like draw on pictures. What about the internet itself? What was it like <laughs> at first for you to to go on the internet as a Chinese citizen? Every kid about my age used a QQ. Uh, and what is that? QQ is a bit like a Facebook messenger, you know, like an instant messenger app. And uh, you make friends, internet friends you never met. So to me, I still remember that was such a mysterious and interesting, exciting time. But at the same time, we were kind of forbidden from uh, using it too much. <laughs> because you had to focus on, focus on your on exams. Study. And also, like, uh, our parents didn't have the experience of using Internet. They, like, freaked out sometimes. Like, what is Internet? And who is my daughter, like, making friends? Like, who is this, like, <laughs> person behind the screen? I'm sure that's an experience that really tons of people around the globe had. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, did the Internet at first allow you to do things that perhaps weren't possible offline? The year 
I went to university to Beijing was just after the Beijing Olympic Games. 2008 musicians dressed in grey tunics, banging traditional Chinese drums, and an explosion of fireworks have got the opening ceremony underway. It happened to be the time when、uh, the internet developed so fast in China. So China was at that time trying to show a more open image to the world. And suddenly, there were more like platforms online that allow young people—people people,、um, doesn't matter what age actually—to discuss about social issue, international affairs. And suddenly, like to me at least, I feel like wow, that is freedom. Suddenly. In the year 2009, that was the 20th anniversary of the、uh, June 4th. Now, as the world remembers the moment 20 years ago when a demonstration was brutally suppressed in Tiananmen Square, China is doing its level best to pull the spotlight away from the anniversary, two decades. And of course, you wouldn't really learn about it in your classroom, or at least don't learn all the details. But by using internet, I get a sense of what happened. Although. There were so many different versions of the story, but to me that was important because I learned something about it. You described there quite a strong sense of hope, almost.、Mm-hmm. So、uh, these younger generations who are discovering the internet, who are discovering those social media platforms, they use those to get access to knowledge that wasn't available elsewhere. They use it to have. Debates that weren't necessarily happening elsewhere—is that a fair assessment that people were seeing these tools with hope? Yeah, I would say yes. I also remember older family members at that time. They also use internet to、uh, read Chinese news, but not produced in mainland China. So news about China, but news pro- about but China, but not necessarily produced by government-run yeah, government, yeah. media outlets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I remember they were excited to read about it, but at the same time they were also worried. Like they asked me as a like a, a student studying Beijing, like is this illegal to read by just reading those news? And、um, what was the answer? I said, I think I'm quite like a, well. Maybe not as careful as many people. I said,、oh, "Of course, this is legal. Like,、uh, well, if, if it's not blocked, then you are reading it. There isn't any law to ban you from reading it." But later, of course, like more and more of those websites were gradually all blocked. Then Google could not operate in China, and Facebook was banned. I still remember the time when Facebook was banned in China. I already had an account. In the university, and had some friends on, on Facebook. Then on Weibo, Weibo is it's a bit like a, a microblogging yeah, website. Microblog. The four years when I was in university, probably Weibo was in its gold age, and I remember spending a whole afternoon reading the debating a discussion on Weibo when the、uh, bullet train crash happened. Chinese media said an express train between Hangzhou and Wenzhou lost power and was struck from behind by a second train. The people are trying to hold the local government accountable, 
and discussed what went wrong. China is spending hundreds of billions of dollars on its high-speed rail network, but there's growing concerns that corruption has compromised the safety of the network's construction. When the crash happened, I spent a whole afternoon、uh, like reading what people say and think. I got really sad, really emotional. You cannot go to the street and protest in China. That is、uh, the biggest taboo, probably in China. Then, I think that is why the internet at that time made Chinese people feel so so much hope. And suddenly, you feel you are not alone. Like in sharing certain values or certain opinions. A very important turning point, of course, is the change of the the leadership. Xi Jinping. It's a name you're going to hear a lot of. Now, officially, the second most powerful leader in the world. Only the U.S. president wields more influence. Already the head of China's Communist Party and its vast military, this ballot confirmed him as president too. It was at that time. Gradually, people feel that it is not going to the same direction. Xi Jinping says he's a leader with a dream, the China dream, to make China prosperous. When I just graduated in 2012 and and later 2013, it was from that time. When、uh, censorship got stronger in China, every day a little bit. Well, you you see some journalists got detained, and gradually you lose all those websites. For people who may not be familiar with the reality of censorship on Chinese social media, can you explain to us how exactly then it is done? How does this censorship manifest itself on social media? Most of the time, to be honest, is those companies like. Tencent, Tencent owns WeChat. WeChat is、um, another social,、uh, the largest social yeah, media platform social in platform. China, which I believe has some similarities yeah, with WhatsApp, and but also but incorporates also Facebook, se- several、yeah. elements of, of Facebook, several functionalities、yeah. that you'd find、yeah. on Facebook. So Tencent, they、uh, if they want to operate in China, they have to do a lot of censorship themselves, rather than got direct call from the.、Uh, Related authority department saying like you have to like block this or that. So they have a 敏感词 they call it sensitive words database. So each time when you send out something that is regarded sensitive, then either you got a warning or sometimes your account will be blocked for some time. And、uh, what kind of words are we talking about? Could be anything. For example, of course there are a few words that. If we sit here, we can imagine like June Fourth or、uh, uh, Xi Jinping's name, even I, I suppose.、And、so we're talking about words that might be perceived by the government as subversive words, words that、mm-hmm. might be used in a context that is critical of the government and what it stands for.、Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and also sometimes it's like a very、uh, like current. There's some. Big news happened. For example, in、uh, Guangdong province, maybe somebody because of food safety, they are so angry and trying to protest in front of the government building. So, some keywords referring to that event could be temporarily included in this sensitive words list. So, every now and then, it's different. 
during Liang Hui, so the China's most important annual、uh, meeting, government meeting, the list might become bigger. I once during this year's Liang Hui, I I chat with a friend, and to me that was really. Like normal conversation, I talk about economic development zone in、uh, Tianjin, in my hometown. And after a few hours, they、uh, came to my home and、uh, like knock the door and say, "Oh, you post something." Wow. Yeah. So the thing is that worried me is I even didn't know that was a sensitive word. How did that make you feel? I feel lost because I, as a journalist, I feel. I kind of know what words I should use directly, or I should like describe in a different way to make sense, or what I shouldn't mention at all on my social media app. And people can also get quite creative once the censors have indeed stepped in. They can get quite creative in the way they talk about certain topics, right? Yeah, like、uh, you can use emoji instead of a certain word, because it's anyway it's managed or censored by machines. I think most of the time, unless you are a person in their blacklist, so most of the time, like most of people, their conversation are censored by uh, these uh, machines, so they can tell. The exact word, but if you use a different way to express it, then you can escape from it. So that's the thing. Back to your question, how does it work? The thing is, sometimes it's really unclear how it works, or what you can say, what you cannot say. By the way, we did ask WeChat whether they'd like to comment on the points Caroline raised here, but they didn't get back to us. So, if you're a social media company who wants to operate in China, you obviously have to abide by the law. But it's the law in itself that forces these companies to act as censors on behalf of the Chinese state. That's why content that is perceived as critical of the government, content that, from Beijing's point of view, endangers social harmony, might be taken down or filtered out. And users themselves may also be punished, whether you're someone with a small social media following or even a top influencer. Although we are here talking a lot about censorship, actually, on Chinese social media is so colorful, prosperous, and people talk about everything basically except for politics, of course. And it is developing so fast. I mean, in China, the market is really huge, and somebody can get so popular, like become celebrity overnight. Again, this is、uh, quite similar to the West, like a lot of online celebrities, a lot of influencers. Yeah, influencers. But、uh, from what I understand,、mm-hmm. these influencers themselves also、mm-hmm. need to abide. By the government's rules. About two years ago, I interviewed one of those most successful influencer, Tian Yao, the young guy's name. He does live streaming on、uh, one of the biggest platforms. One reason why he got so popular in a very short time was he kind of behaving、uh, rebelliously. <laughs> In his live streaming, he smoked, used dirty words, and he never went to a high school. So he dropped off at a young age, and 
over the years by hardworking, he、uh, finally got where he is. So, to a lot of teenagers and young people from a third tier city, so rural area, he became a kind of an an a icon. Hero. Yeah. yeah, icon hero. Then, because of all the attention, basically the government think, oh, this kind of influence is not what we want. So he had to change style of his performance, live streaming, and he had to disappear for some time from the platform. And he basically stopped doing it for some time, and then he came back and with a different style of performance.、Wow. That is normally happen to those influencers. Everybody want this kind of attention, but once you get attention, you are so closely under this watching, and then. Probably you have to change, especially the young celebrities in China. The government think they have a very、um, strong influence on teenagers, on young people. So they are supposed to carry on this positive energy. That means like to build up our socialism society and stand same line with the party and not complain, basically. Although Western media very quickly criticized the Chinese government for imposing these limitations on the internet, on social media, in your conversations with your family, with、mm-hmm. your friends, how do people feel about these limitations, these constraints? I think most of people, at least my family, I think they don't. You know, they are not journalists or, or professors or writers. Like when I talk to them about the、uh, CCTV cameras、uh, put in the street. Now, basically, in every street, a lot of streets, in most Chinese cities, when I talk to them about it, I say, "Well, you basically don't have any privacy anymore." And although I'm not a criminal, I don't want to be watched. But I think my family think,、oh, "Then why not? If you are innocent, then there's nothing to hide, especially within the street." And by the way, it help us to feel safer walking in the street, and bicycles are not stolen anymore. So that is their answer, but I do feel right now many people only see one side of the story. Maybe they haven't really in their life met any, for example, dissident who think, "Oh, just because of what I say, I got in trouble." So I think when it happens to them one day. Then there must be a kind of a pushback. It's very interesting that you say that because I suppose also from the Chinese government's、mm-hmm. point of view, and here I'm looking at、mm-hmm. news stories that have、yeah. been published about this. President Xi Jinping、uh, himself has talked about the need to strengthen public opinion guidance、mm-hmm. to crack down on internet crimes. The government has,、uh, in the、yeah. past, deployed thousands of monitors to crack down on what they described as immoral,、mm-hmm. subversive content.、Mm-hmm. So. From the Chinese government's point of view,、mm-hmm. and perhaps for many of its supporters, this is just about、mm-hmm. keeping society safe,、mm-hmm. keeping society together, stopping crime, stopping all these dangers that could affect people's lives.、Mm-hmm. Personally, I think this is really ridiculous. Like, why? I'm a grown-up woman. I don't need a person to tell me like what I should say or not say. Oh. Just assume I'm like a child, have to have a guidance to to think in certain ways. But I think if you grow up in China, in the years of your education, you 
keep hearing about how important social stability is, and some examples are always brought up, like Iraq war. Striking selected targets of military importance to undermine Saddam Hussein's ability. Oh, look at Syria! Like oh, if the country is not safe, then like nobody will be safe. Syria's regime is trying to crush the revolution. So those examples are, are every now and then mentioned, and also about China's past. The school, the teachers, and government always say, "Now you have the stability to enjoy life, to develop your own life." But look at eighty years ago, when the country is not stable, then nobody could enjoy this kind of good life. I think many people still have the memory, the miserable memory of the past. So when you are Like teaching them how important social stability is, they tend to like think, "Wow, that's right." But I think to many many young people, it's not the same story anymore because we don't have that kind of memory. But we feel the oh, that's so annoying. Like there's again, I cannot play my game on this sensitive date. Oh, you want to always tell me what should I do, what should I say, what should I think? So I think maybe in twenty years, you not. Work as it is working today. We asked the Chinese embassy here in London for comment on the points raised by Caroline in our interview. It sent us a statement in which it pointed out that China, with 800 million of what it calls netizens, is the country with the world's largest number of web users. It also said, "Cyberspace is similar to real society, in which freedom is advocated while discipline should be observed." Freedom is the goal of discipline, while discipline is the guarantee of freedom. It added, "China's internet sovereignty must be safeguarded. China is fully entitled, according to cybersecurity law, to take technological and other necessary measures against overseas websites that transmit illegal and harmful information." There's one phrase that often pops up in the media: this Great Firewall of China. A combination of laws and technology that has limited what Chinese citizens can do on the internet—not the internet most of us know, but a closed internet, heavily censored, heavily controlled, heavily regulated. Beijing argues that it has the right to shape the internet within its borders, but as Caroline says, not everyone in China wants the state to determine what you should or shouldn't see online. Younger, more well-traveled, more well-off generations may simply think that what their parents and grandparents once accepted is no longer sustainable in a modern, open world. So the question is: Can the Great Firewall of China hold? That's all we have time for today. Special thanks to writer and journalist Caroline Can for that interview. Her book Under Red Skies is out now. Our production coordinator was Sarah Jackson. Our editor Mike Wendling. Production help came from Edward Main. I'm Marco Silva, and if you'd like to get in touch about anything you heard here today, just send me an email to Marco. That's M A R C O. dot silva s i l v a at bbc dot co dot uk. As usual, we'd be hugely grateful if you could leave us a rating or a review. 
preferably a raving one. <laughs> or share some love on social media, of course. Tell your friends and followers all about our podcast. And speaking of which, if you're looking for a new show to subscribe to, here's one we can recommend. This is the Global News Podcast from the BBC World Service. The Global News Podcast is a snapshot that we take twice a day on weekdays, once a day at the weekends, explain to people what's happened in the last 12 hours, last 24 hours that really matters, why it matters and why we should care. President Trump has announced new tariffs on China. All schools in Sudan have been closed. Pakistan called India's announcement illegal. It's very, very easy to be paying attention to only the stories that you're already interested in. And it's quite important to go outside your bubble, outside your national borders, and to find out what is going on elsewhere in the world and how the rest of the world looks at you. Protesters are all charging in a certain direction like they are right now. And another time, the right police will attack. The Global News Podcast from the BBC World Service. Will electric ear tickling really make you live longer? Seriously, if you're not listening to us, what are you listening to?